Well, hello, beautiful. Hello there. Hello. My name's Forrest. Forrest Gump. Hello, John. Hello, John. Hello, John. <laughs> hello. Hello, John. Welcome to the party, pal. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Oh, hi, Mark. Hello, Neo. Do you know who this is? Hello, Poppy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. This is our first episode. My name is Kevin. And I'm Chris. And we'll be your host for the podcast. Uh, format. I guess we should talk about the format first and foremost. So what we'll be doing is talking about the top three grossing movies of each month from January of 1990 through December of 1999. Well done. Uh, and uh, there'll be some movies along the way that uh, we'll want to mention that it will be outside of the top three. Uh, and we'll also mention, uh, which is much debated right now, uh, every movie that had a wide release in the month of itself. So each episode will consist of a month, and today will be January of 1990. So when we talk about wide release, we talk about uh, domestic only. We're not going to be talking about foreign films. We're not going to be talking about uh, independent films unless they reached a wide opening. Also, we have these delicious alcoholic beverages that I would like to toast. So cheers. Cheers to the first episode. I'm excited. Yes. All right, so Kevin said we don't want to have to guess in the first four episodes of the podcast, but just to be clear, we have no professional experience whatsoever in the film industry. Right, so let me explain to you how I got here doing a podcast about movies with my cousin Chris. So we're cousins. <laughs> that's right. That's why I said my cousin Chris. Uh, I know nothing about movies in the sense of how somebody who uh, studied film or went to school for any aspect of of film or acting or what have you i have no formal training nor do i i no acting no film no television no movie no experience production wise no podcast in the past this is my first ever attempt at reviewing anything speaking about something in the art world specifically movies right i've never um had done a podcast either so uh but i've been thinking about it because i wanted to have something to say on the podcast about why I love movies in the fashion that I do. But, I mean, really, I'm just a fan of, I suppose, the, I guess, the escape from reality, but that's not really accurate. Like, I don't watch movies and dissect what millimeter film it was shot on and, you know, this scene progression and... and Sometimes I do, depending on the movie. Like, if it's an art house movie, which I do like art house movies from time to time, like, I'll dissect, like, the meaning behind what they're doing. But most of the time, I'm watching a movie on a superficial level. That's why I can quote movies like Young Guns verbatim from start to finish, because I'm watching the movie for the story, not what's behind the story. Right. I mean, <clears throat> I'm not so good with the quoting like you are, but... Um... I'm the same way. I, I don't watch movies because I'm looking for the art behind it. I watch movies just same as you, completely on a superficial level. I just like what entertains me. And, you know, that, that varies from time to time. Um, you're going to see we're going to talk about movies that I never had any interest in seeing that I was forced to watch because of the podcast and actually wound up enjoying them. Like, but take for you, Harry Potter. Like, you're 
huge in the Harry Potter, right? Or Marvel. By, uh, so you could tell me who I've seen all the Marvel films, I've seen all the Harry Potter films, but you could tell me in depth, like the hidden things in the Harry Potter with the horse crux, and I don't know what any of that is, but you know what it all it's is. It's pronounced horcrux, and yes, I could. Um, but that's because I read all the books. Uh, same thing with like, like the Marvel movies. You know, I'm obsessed with the Marvel, but I also listen to podcasts all day long about Marvel. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean. When it comes to watching a movie, though, I just get what's on the surface. Um, also, we grew up in an era. So I was born in 1980. You were born in 85. So we grew up watching all the movies in the 90s. I think like 1990 was probably the first year I saw a movie um, in the movie theaters. In fact, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which comes out in March. That was my first at least remembered movie going experience in my life. But think about the movies that we got to see in theaters, right? Jurassic Park, which we saw together, which you remember and I don't somehow, but I'm glad we saw it together. Movies like Lion King, Aladdin. I no, mean, Aladdin was the, no, Aladdin's not yeah, Aladdin. Aladdin, yeah. like the Disney, like the, the heart of the Disney movies, Beauty and the Beast. Um, a lot of Spielberg films, a lot of Robin Williams, which shaped my childhood. Yeah, I think Robin Williams is like the one actor from the '90s that really stands out to me. Him, uh, yeah, because so look at Hook. Mrs. Doubtfire, Jumanji, like all of these literally films. Literally my three favorite movies as a child, I think. Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I think though, I think because of when we grew up and also we grew up before internet, right? Well, I grew up before internet. Internet wasn't a thing until about 96 and I was 16 years and old. Even then, nobody had internet in their house. Right. It was just for talking to girls online. That was what the internet was for. And I remember I went to a high school party when I was 16 years old and the kid had AOL and the whole party was hovered around the computer. <laughs> that's how old I am. AOL is a messenger? Yes. So but the dial up. But my point is, is that movies, I think, were a much bigger source of entertainment for our childhood. Like V. So the 80s was the explosion of VHS. Right. So it was a brand new thing in the 80s. VHS. Then in the 90s, VHS was super accessible. So you could go to Blockbuster. Right. I think one of my my favorite all time childhood memories, actually, because you're talking about this, like right now, kids like you, you, you want to watch a movie It's there on the Internet. I mean, we found movies that you've never even heard of that we could watch on the internet right now for free. Um, but one of my favorite memories as a kid was when I saw Independence Day in theaters and it was immediately, I think I was, That's how old amazing. was I? 19, that was 1995, I believe. I was 10 years old. It was the best thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. Will Smith was huge at the time. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was everything. And that movie was coming out on VHS. And I remember begging my mom, let's go to Blockbuster. Let's go to Blockbuster and go to Blockbuster. And I'm sitting there and the movies, I'm looking through all the movies. There's 800 copies and not one of them is available. And I remember like, my God, I wanted, I need to watch this movie right now. And I had to convince my mom to leave me at Blockbuster and wait there until someone finally brought a copy back. And then I rented it and had to call her using the Blockbuster phone for her to come pick me up. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> See, that's what the kids these days will never realize. Like, they'll never know the pain of going to Blockbuster to rent the movie that you were looking to rent. It's not in. And then the guy behind the counter is like, check the return bin. And you hope and pray that somebody returns the, the last movie. chance opportunity. Fingers crossed. And everything oh, everything rests on this moment. What about there being not that we this isn't a blockbuster podcast, but that was, since we're on the topic, what about there being an entire wall of the movie that you're looking for, yet none of them are available? 
look, we love movies, right? So that that's where we are. Um, unfortunately, January of 1990 is not a month for movie lovers. <laughs> it's not a month for movies. In there's general. there's nine releases, um, and none of them are good. So um, I suppose we'll get into it. Um, I hope it's good. I hope you guys are entertained. I hope you're as entertained listening to us as we are talking about the movies that we love, which are none of these movies. <laughs> okay, so coming in at n- number nine, uh, we're going to go through these quickly because these movies are horrific. Uh, it's Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Uh, gross $609,000, which I'm sure it deserved every last cent of that. Uh, Michael Rooker. Uh, which, Chris, you know as who? Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> right. So he's Yandu. He's McMaster's in Tombstone. Uh, maybe most notably, he's Rowdy Burns uh, in in um, Days of Thunder. Most notably to you. He's most notably Yandu to everybody else listening to this podcast right now. Fine, I'll take Rowdy <laughs> Burns. If not that, then he's Merle in uh, Walking Dead. I'll, I'll still take Rowdy Burns. <laughs> so that's it. It's a, apparently about he's a serial killer. Moving on. Uh, number eight, a movie called Streets, grossed $808,000. Christina Applegate, it's a story of runaways living in Venice, California. There's also a psychotic cop who kills innocent prostitutes. Murder was very popular in January, apparently. Yeah, I, I have nothing for these movies. I've never seen these movies, and I have nothing further to add than what I've read about them. I have zero intention of ever seeing them. Number seven, Everybody Wins, grossed $1.3 million. Deborah Winger, Nick Nolte. Uh, Winger hires a detective to prove a teen in prison is uh, on mur- is uh, accused of murder falsely. It's, uh, it sounds like an interesting concept, at least. I don't want to see a Deborah Winger Nick Nolte movie. No. Nick uh, Nolte doesn't scream, uh, like, right. fun. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not IMDBing Nick Nolte. So, number six, Brain Dead, gross $1.6 Now, here's what's interesting about doing this, right? This is the reason why I want to do this, and you're giving me objection. Because there's a movie right here that I've never heard of, released in ninety. Brain Dead with Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton. I love the idea of running through the movies. I just don't like talking about movies that I know nothing about and don't ever want to watch. That's fair, but then I would have never realized that there's a Bill Pullman, Bill Paxton movie that I've never seen that I will now watch. You misunderstand me. I would love to talk about this movie and how we're going to watch this movie on air. What I don't want to talk about is that Nick Nolte movie on air. Okay, but... You have to look through them. Right. Moving forward. Uh, uh, this, uh, also, it's uh, with George Kennedy, who uh, most probably, most notably for me at least, is Cool Hand Luke. It's a psychological horror. I would love to watch this movie, and I will at some point. Number four, Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Ooh, there's num- someone interesting in this movie, isn't there? I think it's Vigo Mortensen. Vigo Mortensen. That's the only note I have for this movie. If you don't know what this movie is about, you might not be a fan of movies. All right, number four. Uh, I said four. Oh, I skipped five. Excuse me. Well, we'll fix that now. Downtown is number five. Gross two point two million with For- Forrest Whitaker and Joe Pantaleone. It's a comedy with a confusing storyline. I read the IMDb. I have no idea what it's about. Joe Pantaleone in the Matrix. Yes. Leatherface was number four. Gross five point six million. That was Viggo Mortensen. Number three is the first movie that we're going to discuss, and it's going to be real short. Yeah. All right. This movie, Ski Patrol. Uh, ski, yeah, Ski Patrol. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know the title, man. <laughs> I kept on mistaking it and was excited to watch it because I thought it was Ski School, which is actually not a bad comedy movie. 
Ski Patrol has zero redeeming qualities about it. Watching this movie, it was the first movie I watched for this podcast. And I have to, I gotta be honest, it made me question doing this podcast. Yeah, it was terrible. There's nobody in it. Um, you have George Lopez. Who's he, not really in the movie. He just kind of like, is like, he's trying to be the, uh, the Belushi from Animal House, but like in a ski resort. And it was weird. It was terrible. Um, T.K. Carter, he's uh, plays in, he does some very good singing and impressions in this movie, but he's from The Thing, is his most notable role, but he, nobody brings... Look, the main actor in this movie is Roger Rose. This is a guy that has 167 acting credits, and uh, I have no idea who this man is, so... This movie is just a long string of fart jokes and fall down gags and like and none of them land. None of them are funny. Nothing. Do you know what I really think this movie was for? Because the only part of this movie that I was even remotely interested in was when they were skiing or snowboarding. I think that this is a terrible vehicle for people who are interested in skiing and snowboarding just to, watch to put themselves on film. Or to watch people ski and snowboard. That's all it was. Like some of the tricks were dope. There, there was this guy who – he had – I don't know how to explain this to somebody who's never seen this. He had multiple personalities. He was a, a initially a, a, a the lead singer of a band in his uh, trailer. And he wore masks of, I don't know, gremlin-looking things yeah. on either side of his face and spoke in three different voices. Right, because there was literally three faces on the mask. And he would, and depending on which character yeah, he, he was turned doing, his he head. would turn his head to match that character. It was weird. It was atrocious, but the man was an amazing snowboarder. Fantastic. So I think that that's what this thing was. So um, Yeah. I, Look, the this director is a nobody. The actors are nobodies. Every scene is horrific. Every last scene is horrific, except for I had one laugh out loud moment and so did you yeah we, we we agreed that the only funny part of the movie is when the girl loses her contact lenses on the mountain and the entire the entire cast the entire every single person on the mountain is looking for this contact lens because this girl is super hot and everybody wants yeah so in the snow her, you know? in the snow this girl loses a contact lens and gets every guy that comes by to stop and look for the contact lens and to her credit she was smoking hot so. <laughs> um so ray walston is the only He's not even a bright light in this movie, but he plays Pops, the guy who owns the ski. Um, what did he call him? Ski resort? Yeah, thank you. I couldn't think of the word resort. Um, and then, so the plot of the movie is there's another guy who wants to take over the existing lodge so he can make it bigger and better. Pops is like an old school guy. He wants to keep the, the resort for himself, but he's not doing a great and job he, at running he's it, your, right? He's your typical like bad guy, like, you know, just... They're like, oh, I'm going to take over this resort. Yeah, like, he's got little models of the whole resort and showing everybody where we'll take them out here. And, and then some oaf walks in, makes a fart joke, and everybody laughs. And then it's like, but none of it was funny. No, we'll get off of this movie momentarily. But my point is, is that Ray Walston, who if you IMDB him, he has a real acting career. Like, I don't know how he ended up in this movie. And I felt bad for him being there because he was the only one delivering a role as a real human being like everybody else was a caricature yeah and you said that he becomes a voice actor right that's, no that's that guy. was roger rose oh, okay. 167 acting credits and he's probably been in every single cartoon you've ever seen okay so as a worst actor george lopez just because he's george lopez he should be doing better and he and he's not good to begin with but he was terrible here also i hate george lopez so i know i'm seeing 
And so, best actor, Ray Wal- Walston. We're just going to gloss over this entire movie. Because it was a slapstick comedy. I, it, it didn't even try that hard to be funny. It was... It was the opening scene had slapstick jokes like one right after the other that fell flat. Like every single one of them fell flat. And I feel like the only reason they had any sort of dialogue before they started skiing down the mountain in the opening scene is so they can make a movie out of skiing down a mountain. Right. Which in that that case, just make the movie about skiing and snowboarding and make a documentary and follow around snowboarders doing cool tricks. Because you want to know something? Even in 1990, I think people have seen that movie. Yeah. All right. So look, I need to get away from this movie and I'm sorry that I ever saw it. And to be quite honest with you, I watched it twice because I bailed on it the first time and I had to watch it through the second time. Yeah. Uh, you, you asked me to watch it again because just as a side note, <clears throat> we had planned on starting this podcast right before the COVID outbreak. We had watched all three movies right before the COVID outbreak and we were about to record our first episode and then all of a sudden everybody got locked in their houses and you know we, we, we tried recording over Skype things didn't work out so you know we waited till all that passed by so it's been a while since I watched this movie but it was so bad that I just I couldn't sit through it again okay so moving on thank god number two Tremors this is the only movie out of this month that I've seen prior to doing this podcast not only is it the only movie I've seen of these movies that we're talking about today, it's the, I actually like this movie. I, you know, uh, upon this is the other, I watched this movie twice and I watched the number one movie twice too. I didn't like it the first time. I did like it the second time I watched it. So before we miss it, it grossed 16.6 million for the month. So it's uh, leaps and bounds above the others, but I mean, 16 million is a lot of. Huge Not, number. Yeah, but I also so I read that it bombed in the theaters, and then on VHS it was raking in the cash. And then, uh, and then of course it was on uh, WPIX Movie of the Week every week on Sunday. This is a movie I grew up watching. This movie every Sunday when I was homesick, I was watching this movie on whatever channel it was on. That's the type of movie I feel this is like. If it's on like a TNT or a TBS, I would leave it on as background noise. Do you want to share with everybody why you love watching movies on TV? So this is very early for for you to bring that up. But so I feel like watching a movie on TNT or TBS or any of those cable channels is is a better experience than watching the movie by yourself because there are other people throughout the country that are enjoying the movie at the same time as you. I think that's such a batshit crazy philosophy, but... How does it not make sense, though? Okay, so barring time zones, right? Because I don't know exactly how that would work. It's not that it doesn't make sense, like, in the terms of, like, other people are watching it. I just don't know why that gives you any enjoyment. I don't know. I'm a person who needs human contact or some sort of camaraderie i suppose it's just the fact that you know someone else is watching the movie makes yeah you it happy. makes it more fun for me i'm enjoying it <laughs> somebody else is enjoying it it's a better time all right moving on all right so tremors <clears throat> so tremors right the Direct- plot oh okay we'll talk about the plot so all right two handy men are from a town called perfection per- perfection um they're trying to they get, leave the town. They're right, they they're trying, want, they get, they, as they're trying to leave, every time they try to leave, they find another person dead. They're trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, it turns out there's these giant sand monsters running through the sand called, tr- called Graboids, trying to you know just eat their way through the town. Right. So um, it has Kevin Bacon in it, which virtually any movie Bacon's in, it's probably at least watchable. Right. Kevin oh. Bacon, he's always 
good for a watch. Makes me laugh when it's supposed to be a comedy. And this is a comedy. Um, it's a it's a comedy horror. Uh, I I happen to like this genre. Um, one of the notes I wrote was like, "This is the original Sharknado." <laughs> well, I, I have to say, this is infinitely better than Sharknado. Right, but it's it's the same kind of idea, like ridiculously. I think that the stakes are much higher in this movie than they are in Sharknado. Right. I mean, and the production quality is far superior as well. But I'm just saying, like, it's... The first of its genre? Yeah, the, the, the comedy horror. Like you, they're taking it serious in the movie, but you're not supposed to take it serious watching. So, uh, who else is in the movie? Kevin Bacon plays Val. You got Fred Ward playing Earl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Finn Carter plays the, lo- the the female love interest of Kevin Bacon, Rhonda. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Gross playing Bert. Reba McIntyre, the the famous Reba McIntyre, playing Bert's wife Heather. Do you know that this is Reba McIntyre's first movie? Was she in other movies? I know I, she had her show. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine so. Yeah. I didn't IMDb it. Neither did I. <laughs> but it's her first. I know that for a fact. All right. You got Ariana Richards, who is? Please tell everybody who this is. She is in Jurassic Park. She is... Uh, she is Lex in Jurassic Park. So she's uh, the granddaughter of John Hammond. So, yeah, look, anytime a Jurassic Park name pops up, it's going to get applause from me. Absolutely. Um, then you also have the infamous Victor Wong playing Walter Chang, the yeah. store owner. Also from Big Trouble Little China, which... He plays virtually the same exact guy, which I I don't know. He plays a store owner this time, so he has like no knowledge of all the mystical, magical stuff that he has in uh, Big Trouble Little China. Obviously, not that kind of movie, but his the way he atta- addresses the role, I suppose, the way he comes across is virtually an identical person, which I love. I appreciate who he was in Big Trouble Little China. I like him in this role. So, uh, all right. So it's directed by Ron Underwood. Who um is also he also directed one of our favorite movies, City Slickers, as well as Heart and Souls. Um look, I, I, I like this movie. Um I think uh it has its issues. One of my issues with the movie is why is Kevin Bacon take taking a, a piss in the opening scene? I thought that was unnecessary. Why are and, they sleeping in a truck? But also Fine, I'll whatever. Why ever they were sleeping in the truck, I'm okay with. Maybe they were herding the cattle that were there. Maybe my, my that's first the thing. note was, are they homeless? But why? Why is he taking a piss in the opening scene, and then they're taking a piss again when they're stuck on the rocks? The three of them. Like I, I, I could have done without. We that. don't need to see the opening all over the place. I'm sure it's just unnecessary. Um. So yeah. So. I like the practical effects, like when the graboids were ru- like running underground and all the stuff was moving on top of it. I was going to say that it looked like they were swimming through water almost. Like It looked like sand, but it looked like they were swimming through with the ease of water. Like It was a nice little trip. Like It made you believe, like, oh, these things really can just flow through the sand and the dirt. It, it was, I, I liked that. And then I tried to find plot points, right? Because so you have these things that are living in this in our country nobody's ever seen them before and i'm like so how are they going to explain that they don't explain it but they address the fact that it's unexplainable which i thought was a smart move by the movie like I, it's just not it's not just like you know, here they are and then you, you try and figure out well how they get there and where they come from they think about those things but they can't figure it out and i just thought well, that that was a smart way to go about Earl it Earl is convinced they're from outer space so <laughs> right I, I do remember that they could be from outer space um 
So, what's some of your favorite scenes? So, some of my favorite scenes, I have a few that I wrote down. Um, first one, uh, the couple that's building that house, the older couple. Yeah. The, the, I think they call him the doctor. The, right. You never get a real name. Um, so, they're building the house. They're hanging out. They're talking about how great it is that they're going to live under the stars. And they got the generator going because the house isn't built yet. And they're living in a trailer. And then, all of a sudden, the generator stops working. And the husband goes to check on it. And it's gone. Mm. Uh, turns out the graboids pulled it under the ground. Um, and then you get this really, really intense death scene where this man is being slowly but surely pulled into the ground and screaming in agony the entire time it's happening. Yeah. Um, while his wife is screaming to watching and trying to pull him back. So she runs, she gets away, she gets into the car. And then I thought this was a really cool part on the writer's, uh, Cool idea on the writer's part. Uh, they have the graboids actually work their way around the car so it sinks into the ground with mm. the, with that slow country, calm country music playing in the background. Yeah, I thought that was a good scene. I, I thought that they did a really good job. I tried to find flaws throughout the movie and really couldn't. I, you know, I thought that they did a good job putting a story from through you know from start to finish. And they have a lot of callbacks too. So like. The pogo stick was what I was going to say before. I like the continuity of the little girl. Just ju- It had nothing to do with anything when they drove past her the first time. And he, she, uh, Earl asked her, hey, what's the count? Is 637. Six- right. Thank you for that exact number. I knew it was 600 and something. Uh, and then they come back to it, and then it becomes a problem later. So I like that. Yeah, but I was even going to say with the music. So you had that slow country music playing as the car is sinking into the ground. Yeah. And when Earl and... Uh, Val. Val find their way back to the to the yeah. doctor's house. They find out what happened by hearing that music playing underground. Right. Yeah. They did. They did a good job with continuity. Um. What else did you like? Uh, I think my favorite scene. I'll say this: the pole vaulting scene. So he, here's the, when they're doing the pole vaulting scene, right? So they're stuck on the rocks. The graboids are s- sitting there. They test the, the ground by throwing stuff, and it's been sitting there all night. They slept on the rock. They woke up in the morning, and it's still there. They figured the um, – what's her name? The girl uh, – can't remember her name, her character Rhonda. name. Rhonda, thank you. Uh, finds the, the sticks, and she's pole vaults from one rock to another. Uh, Earl, which another callback to earlier in the movie, one of the, in, during the opening scenes, he says, that's Hamilton Baxter. she do much pole vaulting? Which was a callback to the fact that Val has a very specific type of girl that he said that he likes. Do you have those specifics? No. Because I do. Go ahead. So he says, as they find out about the, the they find out Rhonda's working in the field. She's but the they don't new, know what she looks like But yet. she's the new grad assistant because he goes, oh my God, that's supposed to be a girl. Right. Wait, can I interject before you give the line? She does not look like she's of college age. No, she doesn't. She's in her mid-30s easy. All right. So moving on. <laughs> so as they're driving through the desert and rushing towards this girl because Val's just so excited there's a girl, he's going, you will have long blonde hair. Big green eyes, world-class breasts, and an ass that won't quit, and legs that go all the way up, <laughs> which is so misogynistic, it's insane. That's, I mean, look, okay, I'm not going to say that. You can have your preference, but uh, I think all legs go all the way up, don't they? <laughs> I guess they, they have to stop somewhere, so I guess they don't go all the way up, but they go all the way up 
So what? So there's there's an actual void between somebody's ass and their thighs. I follow you. I follow you. They they go all the way up. Just how long they are until they reach (laughs) what is up is different. But I will say, Earl does call them out. He does call them out and says like, "Yeah, they you live by this list, and and you ain't never been happy." What does he say? He doesn't say makes me sick. He says something something else. Makes my skin crawl. He says makes my, which I thought was actually better than makes me sick. So anyway. And then Earl falls on the first try. He tries to go, and he goes almost halfway and then falls bl- back flat on his back. Which I, was good, because if they would have just all been successful, I mean, right. they would have been annoying. So then there, this one scene, I, it, they put it together great. There was solid background music. I liked it. It was whimsical. It was fun. And then they had that really nice shot of them in sync, pole vaulting from one rock to the other. And there was a nice shot of the mountains in the background. I just thought it was probably the best scene in the entire movie. It was nice to watch, yeah. Yours? Um, well, that other one was my nominee, and I think it actually is my best, my favorite scene in the movie. There was another scene um, that I really liked, though, was when the Graboids finally reach perfection and all the times people are together. Mm. Uh, you start off, you have Melvin, who, by the way, I couldn't stand Melvin and the kid that played Melvin. I, that, that character just needed to not be in the movie. But he's bouncing the basketball, the ball pops, and it's the Graboid. Uh, the girl's on the pogo stick, and Val has to tackle her off to save her. Um, uh, Rhonda gets caught in a barbed wire, and she's got to take her pants off to get free. Not taking the pants off isn't the part that's great. It's just the fact that the whole, all the action that goes oh, I, into this, the the town getting, the just finally being attacked on it, it was just, it was, it was intense. I was on, I, I honestly got a little like, uh, right. a little anxiety during that scene. Also, I didn't mind her taking her pants off. Ten-year-old me thought that that was pretty awesome. Five-year-old me probably didn't care. (laughs) I would imagine not. So, also, since we're on the topic, I remember... Well, I incorrectly remembered from being a kid seeing this movie that her underwear was purple. Like, I saw that in my head, but it's not. Her underwear is white, and the shirt she's wearing purple. It's still purple in my head, and I just watched the movie this morning. It's mis- mistaken <laughs> recollection, but one there, thing there I, you have that. One thing I wanted to bring up is the constant use of the phrase, son, I don't understand sons of it. bitches. Son of a bitch, sons of bitches. Like, I, ac- I actually wrote down every time that they said son of a bitch. Let me count it up. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine times throughout this movie. So do you know I read that the reason why we have the phrase Mother Humper and and other uses of of foul language... Let me guess because I didn't look this up. They wanted to maintain the PG-13 rating. So they had 20-something F-words in the movie and they were getting an R rating. So they cut it down to two F-words and they replaced the F-words with things like sons Humper. of bitches mm-hmm. and mother humpers and shit. And so that's why we had so many sons Earl of bitches. Earl at one point says, what the shit? Like that was a clearly what the F moment, but they changed it. So little tidbit. Uh, worst scene for you? I don't really... <laughs> I reached for a worst scene. So here's my yeah. worst scene. Directly at the end of the pole vaulting scene, they hop into the truck and the uh, Rhonda puts the keys in the ignition, but she's head first through the back of the cab window. So she pushes the gas pedal with her hand and the road is very narrow. She, so you, there's no way you could push the gas pedal with your hand and see above the steering wheel. She's driving and pushing the pedal with her hand and staying on the road. I know I'm nitpicking. That is a nitpick, but, but I, I see your point. It's like, it's impossible. 
So why not. put it in? They right. should have done something else. Like, just get through the window. Why did she have to not be in the driver's seat? So that's mine. Uh, my worst scene in the movie is <clears throat> when uh, Bert and what's his wife's name? Bert and Heather are locked in their uh, bomb shelter mm. and the graboid breaks through. And it's actually kind of an exciting scene. Um, and it starts out pretty awesome. They're shooting at it. They're, they're firing like hundreds of rounds at this thing, trying to kill it and just nothing's working. And then Bert goes and gets an elephant gun. Mm. And Bert's supposed to be this doomsday prepper. He knows how to work a gun. I mean, they're all about guns. I'll move the first scene of them in the movie. The first time they're in the movie, they're buying ammunition. And he's complaining that hollow about the hollow points. Yeah. So he's clearly established as he's a gun nut, knows about guns. He takes out this elephant gun, which if you've never shot it, if you don't know anything about guns, elephant guns are extremely powerful, mm. basically giant shotguns. So... He holds this gun under his arm and fires two shots at the graboid, holding the gun under his arm, which anyone who's ever shot a gun knows that that gun on the first pull of the trigger would have gone flying out of his hands. And I'm sorry, that's just a terrible piece of directing. You need to catch that. You, you as an actor need to understand that gun's got to be tight against your shoulder in order for you to fire. Okay, well, and you're a hunter and I'm not, so that didn't bother me because... Bother me I have no idea. But also in that same scene, that was a nominee for my worst scene because I thought, like, they could have shot the scene smoother. Like, they have an entire wall of, of weaponry, all sorts of different guns, shotguns, rifles, handguns, automatic guns. And you would think that they could shot, like, the more, I, I guess for lack of a better term, choreography of the scene. And he uh, Reba calls for a magazine and he, like, haphazardly throws the magazine to her. I thought they could have shot it better, but I didn't have a problem per se with the scene. So, I don't know. Best actor, worst actor, we'll just go through it quickly. Best actor for you? Uh, best actor for me was, I'm going to say Kevin Bacon. Uh, Simply because he's Bacon? Well, not even that. I mean, he, he just, I just felt like, you know, he went into the role. He went full force into it. He, he wasn't holding back and uh, he wasn't overacting either. So, uh, my best actor is uh, Victor Wong. Well, Just because I love the role he plays, he, uh, Walter Chang, he's the same guy he was in Big Trouble Little China. I just thought he was an endearing older guy. That's all I thought. Uh, worst actor? I was originally going to say Michael Gross, the guy who plays Bert. But the fact of the matter is he's not in the movie long enough to really earn a worst actor. So I went with Fred Ward. Uh, I just, He just overacted the hell out of this movie. Everything was super excited. He was super excited about everything that happened. Screaming about everything. Always over the top. Every action and reaction throughout the entire movie. I don't know. I I, don't really, I, th I looked at it again the second time. I really have a worse actor. The first time I thought it was Bacon just because like I expected more from from but it's but not the type of movie to it, but it's also not the type of movie to expect more from an actor from. So I, I just went with whatever role I hated the most, and that was the kid bouncing the basketball. You know what? I hated him too. Every, everything about that, you know, that has to be my worst actor because I literally could not stand that child in this movie. All right, quickly, most quotable line. Most quotable line. I have a few. So <laughs> my my favorite is. They're uh, loading up the horses to get help uh, from the next town over. And Walter, Walter Chang, <laughs> comes over to Earl. He says, hey, Earl, here's some Swiss cheese and some bullets. I just thought that was random, and it made me laugh. <laughs> so, 
That was that was really funny. You're or right. my my runner up was when Bert says, "We killed it. You got that? We killed that mother humper." Yeah, that's the mother and humper. Because you pointed this out when we were talking about it the, the first time we watched it, and this <laughs> so I was waiting for, it and it got me pretty good. Um, so my favorite line is of course a sons of bitches line. Yeah, and it's the one where. Uh, that's how they get you. They're under the ground. Kevin Bacon finally realizes what a graboid is. Right. And, and Fred, Fred Ward, what's his name in the movie? Uh, Earl goes, what the hell are they? And he goes, sons of bitches. Right. So intensely too, right? With the sons of bitches. As if that explained everything. Right. We're going to get, we're going to get away from this movie. But first, before we do, I got to address the hairy legs. What is the problem with that? Like, it's a, it's a clear choice to not shave your legs, which I guess is fine if you want to go that for. route. But I was just – I was really taken aback by the hairy legs. They, they were glistening. It was almost like they shined the light to just so right. they, really they see it. It was backlit so you could see. And it wasn't like – you know, a day or two or three worth of not shaving. It was having never shaven your yeah, legs and, before. And now, if you don't want to shave your legs, that's a personal choice. I get it. But like, it's, I suppose it's, it's 1990. But like, I'm really not, not on board with it. It go- could be your personal choice, but I'm going to have a problem with it. And it's 1990. It kind of goes against standard convention of like what people d- do, I okay. guess, you know, so. And- All right. So anyway, we're going to keep this. Uh, podcast moderately PC. So Chris is saying that it's her her body, her choice, which is fine. All right, moving on to number one, and this is going to be short because I hate every last second of this movie. There was movie. nothing. This, no, I, I take that back. We had to, I have some good things to say. About this movie. I don't have anything good to say about this movie. So this movie is called what? Uh, Internal Affairs, and it's starring... Nobody good, but it grows 27 and a half million or so. Nobody good? No. Tell me who's... Andy Garcia. Fine. Andy Garcia is good on occasion. He's good in this movie too. I I, this, I didn't hate him. I hated him. All right. On I, so the first time we watched this movie, I told you Andy. I said Andy Garcia was the only shining light in this movie. I take it back. He's a train wreck. Everybody in this movie is a train wreck. I hate this movie. Nobody more so than Stephen Baldwin. I watched. I no. I'll I'll take. Well, Baldwin's a train wreck in real life, but I'll take his character over most in this movie. So I watched this movie twice. The first time, I was waiting for something good to happen that never came. The second time, I was counting the two hours of minutes for this movie to be over. I know it's a little bit early for this, but you said nothing good ever happened. We got to watch Richard Gere smack the shit out of Stephen Baldwin. Fine. That's the one scene. And, and Hold on. I'll, I'll, I'll actually correct myself. Lori Metcalf, I'll watch every scene she's in. She's in the movie, I'm watching it. That's amazing. Last time we spoke, you hated her. No, I love her. She yeah. was great. She Listen, said the most outlandish. Sexual in, innuendo after innuendo, right? Fine, though. For coming from her, right? So it's not misogynistic or whatever because it's coming from a woman. So I'll take it. You could say whatever you want and it doesn't sound creepy. Gear, on the other hand, says the word come twice and both times I almost threw up. He is unwatchable in this movie let's get to it what's the plot wait can all right so what's the plot all right the plot is uh richard gear is a bad is a dirty cop so is his partner played by steve bull i don't even know that names in the movie and honestly i don't care uh so gear is uh dennis peck billy baldwin is van stretch so they're they're dirty cops andy garcia is the ia agent internal affairs agent and he plays raymond avia and he's brought in to Basically, catch Richard Gere. And Richard, no, no. he was a newly promoted 
uh, whatever he was prior, I don't know the com- chain of command for police, but he's a new internal affairs agent. And Laurie Metcalf plays Amy Wallace. She's like the internal affairs vet that is now uh, Andy Garcia's partner. So uh, IAD goes to investigate uh, Van Stretch, pa- played by Billy Baldwin. And Stephen Baldwin. As- Isn't no, it Steve- Billy. Oh, Billy Baldwin. Oh, I'm getting all messed up. Uh, Don't mix I- up your Baldwin. I've been calling man. him Stephen Baldwin since the beginning, so I have to apologize. It's Billy Baldwin. Fine. So, uh, and then upon further digging, it's clear that Richard Gere is who they were really looking for, the guy that's causing all these problems. Uh, and then it's just a, a cat and mouse game. And I will tell you, it's the worst cat and mouse game I've ever seen. I have every problem with this movie. Look, so with this mo- uh, on my second viewing, I realized what this movie is 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 it's a movie that's for horny housewives and people that are having marital problems. The amount of jealousy from one spouse or or partner to another, and the amount of cheating, cheating, and and gear banging everything that walks in front of him. It, it's it's supposed to be like kind of like a it's kind of like a Cinemax movie, but like not without the sex in it. Yeah. And there's just like there's a lot wrong with this movie. But like the only thing I can think about when I think about this movie is this one scene where I just got so confused and so thrown off. I didn't know what was going on. It's the scene where they're having breakfast, and apparently it's at Richard Gere's current wife's current house. Wife. Oh, because you rewatched it. Yeah. It's his current wife. It's not his ex-wife? No, his current wife's house. And his girlfriend's there hanging out. Right. And they're all having breakfast no, together no, no, with no, the no. family. No, his ex-wife walks in. Uh, it, it's, oh, it's his current wife and wait, his ex-wife's there. Oh, uh, see, that's where I was confused. Hold on. I could be completely wrong because I didn't understand either, <laughs> the, the scene either. And nor do I understand the relationship dynamic between any two people in this movie. Because it's breakfast and they're all there. But why? But he's... They're so happy to be all together. Where's like the animosity? Why do you? Why is she your ex then? And Richard Gere is such like a horrible person in this movie. You would just flat out think, okay, he's a horrible person. He probably hates his ex wife. No, but she loves him. She and, comes in and gives him a kiss on the cheek, and they have this cordial relationship. And the thing is, you don't. How know does where that she, make sense? You don't even know where she came from. Did no. she come in the front door? Was she? In, does she have her bedroom at the house? I to, don't know. To be frank with you, I have no idea. If it's her house or the other girl's house or Gear's house, because his kids are there too. There's no dynamic. <laughs> so anyway, that that was terrible. Uh, how about Elijah Wood when when uh, Billy Baldwin's beating up his wife or girlfriend because you're unclear on who anyone is, and Elijah Wood is the five or six or seven year old kid that comes I in and sees that. Billy Baldwin beating up his his mother. And is that the scene where uh, Richard Gere shows up? It is, right? So Richard Gere comes in. Just I, I want to get off of this movie. I don't, I don't even want to talk about <laughs> well, it. Richard the, Gere comes in the, and says... the girlfriend or wife calls Gere, right? Yeah, she, she, right, pro, right before she called him. But So Gere comes in and sees like the, the domestic abuse. And he says... He grabs Billy Baldwin and he says, hey, we're all having a great time, aren't we? Like trying to defuse the situation. And make it like it was a joke. Right. But it was a, it was horrifically written. He says a couple other things that are completely out of line. Then he and drags then, it outside. Wait. So now this is the only good scene of the entire movie. So Billy Baldwin, right. We're not condoning domestic abuse, but it's funny because not that the, the, the domestic abuse, not funny, but Seconds after having get being dragged outside by Richard Gere, Billy Baldwin pours a bump of coke on his hand and goes to sniff it, and Richard Gere smacks the, his hand away, and the coke blows away in the wind. And then, that's the first of 
11. What? No, 12, because 11 smacks to the face. Okay, so <laughs> I uh, we counted. I, I may have been off by one, but it was a total of 11 or 12 smacks to Billy Baldwin's face without a word being said. And then Billy Baldwin cries, and and uh, Geary gives him a hug. And the whole point is, though, he's not mad about him beating his wife or girlfriend. No. He's mad at him for sm- sniffing. Not coke. Too much coke. Right, yeah. <laughs> A little bit's okay, but all of the coke you're doing is not. So <laughs> Cut it in half at least, Billy. Look, let's also talk about the fact that uh, the um, domestic abuse or, or violence towards women, completely acceptable in this world that they've created. Uh, uh, so you talk about... Um, well, that's what I'm saying is that like Richard Gere's not even mad about that. Like That's not what's going to get us caught in our schemes. And I'm going to be quite frank with you. I don't know what their schemes are. Are they running drugs? I don't know, know no, what's going they, on. I don't know either, to be honest with you. It's just all of him. Everything <laughs> he just, does is like has a shade of gray to it. They're just dirty cops. Yeah, That's they, it. They just label them as dirty cops and they sniff coke. <laughs> well, it, well, okay. So fine. Whatever his scheme was, I don't really know what that was. But he does murder various people towards the end of the movie. Oh, that's so. right. Remember in the van scene, right? Yeah. That, that was, that's another that was thing. ridiculous. Sorry, look. It, this is how dude, I hate Richard Gere. I hate anything Richard Gere has ever been in. Okay, I guess he at one time had a draw towards women of a certain age that thought he was hot. He did the American Gigolo movie, which I put him on the map as a sex symbol. I don't know. And he did pretty well. His nose is atrocious to me. If I was a woman, I couldn't get past his his mountainous oh, wait, nose. Pretty woman was after this though, so I guess that doesn't work. So anyway, uh, so wait. I have a question for you, No, Kevin. look, my point is, is the scene that you brought up before where he murders his – he has his partner murdered, right? There's no range of his acting. His tone never changes. His facial expression never changes. He's the same guy in every movie. Right, and the idea is, like, they're in this whole thing together. This guy is a cop. Like, he had to have been a decent human being at some point or another, and he had absolutely no emotion for having to kill off his partner and his – you can only we're led to believe is his best friend. Yeah. Right. So it's like you're right. His range is is awful. There's no range. It's right. not that it's awful. It's just non-existent. All right. Look, a couple other points, uh, and then we'll get to it. Uh, the writer of this movie is really hung up about people not sleeping with their spouses and jealousy. So, like, buddy, maybe go to counseling, man, because <laughs> don't put it all on screen. All right. So, best actor, worst actor. Best actor for me is Metcalf. She has some funny lines, which we'll get to in a second. I'm sticking with Andy Garcia. I thought he played his role fine. I thought he was even he was even killed the whole time. Like he never overacted. He never undersold anything. I thought he was fine. I disagree, but you're entitled to your opinion. Worst actor? Um, probably Billy Baldwin because he's just terrible in everything. But he's but he's a he's a train wreck in real life, and he plays a train wreck. So I was okay with that. <laughs> My worst actor is Richard Gere. That's not fair because you're always going to pick Richard Gere. That's right because I hate Richard Gere. <laughs> Richard Gere, if you ever hear this podcast, I hate your acting. I don't know you as a person, but you're probably a terrible person. <laughs> so, all right. Most quotable lines? I got nothing. All right. So, my, what, one of my best – one of my favorite lines is there the, – so, Laurie Metcalf comes into Andy Garcia uh, interrogating – Billy Baldwin and gives Billy Baldwin like an all like an ultimatum like you if you flip we'll give you this sort of deal Metcalf says you don't have the ability to give him that deal take it go tell him you can't give him that deal and uh, Garcia says no 
So then she realizes like that it's like more or less like a pissing contest between him and Dennis Peck, but Dennis Peck isn't on screen. So her her response to what's going on is she goes, I've got another idea. Why don't you and Dennis Peck both pull them out and I'll decide which one's bigger? So I the line made me laugh. You had a problem with the Well, because the semantics of it is that you you can't decide which is bigger. One is just undoubtedly going to be larger than the other. Like it's just a fact. It's not an opinion. That's that's fair. But I'll take the line. So another line with Metcalf delivers the best part of the scene. It's between uh, Andy Garcia, uh, his his boss, which is this guy Grebe and Laurie Metcalf. So Garcia goes, you know Dennis Peck, and his boss goes, yeah, he's a good cop. And Garcia goes, how come he's just a P two? Which I don't know what a P2 is, but I guess a certain rank of a police officer. And then uh, Grieve goes, because he's uh, because he doesn't care about being a hotshot P3. He likes it on the street. And then Metcalf's response to whatever's going on is, yeah, he likes pussy is what he likes. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was funny. I mean, it is true to the character as well. Yeah, so yeah, I'm not going to so, get into any, any further so detail. So would you about... recommend people go see this movie? No, I would recommend that you never see this movie. I would recommend that you don't watch any Richard Gere movie. Uh, you or, or, actually, I take it back. Watch one Richard Gere movie, then you've seen them all because he's <laughs> the same guy every time. Uh, you did you like this movie? No, I hated this movie. In fact, I mean, we haven't done this for the other movies. Would you recommend? Uh, what was the first movie? Was Ski Patrol? No, Ski no. Patrol is something that you should also never watch. It had there was no redeeming quality to the entire movie. And Tremors. Yes, but in the sense that. If you've never seen it, definitely watch it. You know what you're getting when you go watch Tremors. And then from that point on, you'll probably never look to put it on. I I have to assume that most people have seen the movie Tremors. If you're watching a movie podcast, you've probably seen Tremors at least once. All right. So, yes. And then if Tremors, which is never on TV anymore, and I, I hate when that happens to movies, when they used to be on TV all the time yeah. and then they well, never are. Well, it's because are. Netflix ruined everything. And then now it's not even on Netflix anymore. It came off on Netflix. Um. So, uh... That's it. You got anything left to say? No, I'm good. All right, so let's talk about February 1990. What movies are we talking about? So coming in at number three, we have uh, Stella. Starring Barbara Streisand. Number two is Madhouse. Starring Kirstie Alley and your favorite. No, not my favorite. <laughs> What's his name? John, uh, I always forget Lip- his last name. No. John Larroquette. And then we have Hard to Kill. Hard to kill. Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal. You watch it like a week ago, a week ago, and it's forgotten already. Yeah, it's that kind of movie. It is a forgettable movie. It's not bad. None of these. Like, I gotta be honest. What? All right, never mind. Watch these movies. We'll talk about them next week. Well, yes, but also maybe don't watch these movies. <laughs> All right, look, I had a great time. I'm glad we got the first one out of the way. Cheers, brother. It was fun. See you.